in the end, you are always one thing and you, and you really are. And you, and you start to think, I'm a questioner, but you're like, I'm not really. It's just that it kind of worked its way in a different way. But there are some of them where you will have what like leanings or tendencies. So you might deal with very specific situations in a certain way. Uh, but in the end, you are you are one of those things. It doesn't work the same as those sort of quadrant based things where you're like, I'm mostly introverted, but I'm also extroverted. It's it's more so. And I had a real problem with that when I first started learning about it, because I was like, well, I make this decision in this case, and that's based on this. And then when I dug a little further, I was like, yeah, it's not based on that. It's it's still me trying to like even my quest for like, I'm going to be successful in my own right. If you ask me why, it's still going to end up being like, so these people will know that I'm successful in my own right. It's so that my someone asked me one day, like why I really want to be successful. And it's because at the end of it. I want my kids to be excited about what I do. My son, this is both an amazing story and very sad in the end. For Halloween this year, my son decided he wanted to be me. So we were going to, because we're bad parents, we would only have this one shot at it. The plan was to shave the whole top of his head, paint a beard on him, give him glasses and a graphic tee, and we were going to get him a world's greatest dad mug. And that's when he was going to take door to door to get his candy. And then at the last second, right before we shaved his head, he decided, I think I just want to be a hockey player. And I'm not there this weekend and he has a party. So I was like, fine. I really just wanted to shave your head. Make you look ridiculous for a week. And like I told this to other parents and they were like, My son has a website. One day I was working on building a website. My son was like, I want to build a website. And I was like, okay. And he built the most ridiculous website you've ever seen. Um, he asked me not to share it with anyone. He's like, don't tell anyone about my website. And I was like, okay, man. Um, but he just like, he just wrote random words. He drew pictures and was like, put this on the internet. And I was like, okay, man. So I really love the idea that for me, it's all about the idea that my son is like pumped about the things that I do. And as someone who is not the breadwinner winner in our family, barely get condiments. Like I, I'm, I get like the bags. Like when they, like if you're like, my wife is the breadwinner. I'm then like, do you need me to pay a nickel for bags because they charge that now? That's like that's the dynamic. So for me, having the ability to have my kids be like, I'm proud of what you do, is an amazing thing for me. And I wish that I had some sort of internal reasoning for that because it would be much easier, but I don't. When I was a kid, my family moved a lot. So between grade five and grade seven, I lived in Woofield, Digby, Yarmouth, Liverpool, Antigonish, and Halifax in a two-year stretch. My mom worked for the company that was renumbering all the counties for 911. So we had to go county to county and give everyone new street names and new house names and all this kind of stuff. And so imagine... If your self-worth and your value as a person is tied to what the people around you think of you, and then you move to a new place every like three months, every three months with me being like, how do I be your best friend right now? How do I do that? And in one town, they were like, we play baseball. And I'm like, I'm going to be the greatest baseball player you've ever seen. One year between grade five and grade six, I grew seven inches in a summer and was six foot one when I started grade six. And when I showed up, they were like, 
I was picked first on day one at basketball, and I was like, yes. I was super excited. Then everyone else developed basketball skills and also grew, and everything kind of went out the window. So one of the other things is I have a lot of friends who have beautiful calligraphy skills, and they love color, and they have they've been bullet journaling for since they were a baby, and they do all these really beautiful things with to do lists, and that's great if that works for you. Uh, I say here, what a beautiful, useless list. Because if your to-do list is really, really pretty and nothing ever gets crossed off or checkmarked or you put a sticker with a happy face beside it, it's not actually doing anything for you. Uh, I have horrifically ugly to-do lists. They are legible. I can read them. And I scratch the heck out of them whenever I finish anything off. And I would really encourage you, first off, to have a to-do list because I used to think I didn't need to because I have a functioning brain. And now I have two children. And I can only remember people if I meet them and their name is also Mike. (laughs) That's it. Uh, So one of the things that I have done over the years is I always have with me, it's, it's over there, but I have a moleskin notebook that I have with me at all times. Or I have my phone on me and I will often record a voice memo that just says whatever it is I was just thinking. And then all that gets transcribed to a great big ugly list. And then anytime I do something, I cross something off that list. I would really encourage you to have a to-do list, but I don't want you to be controlled by what you do with that to-do list. For example, I don't create any hierarchy in terms of value in my to-do list. I know that probably a lot of you do. Probably a lot of you are like, okay, so I'll write everything down and then I'll make a new list. And in the new list, I'll put these on the top because they're most important. And then I'll put these in the middle because they're the second. And then I'll put these on the third. couple quick things about that. One, you are forcing yourself to do things at times where you might not have the energy or the passion to do them. When you start prioritizing these things and put them on the top of the list, you then say, well, I have to do that thing right now. And you don't want to, so you half-ass it. And the things that you put on the bottom of the list, you never end up doing. Uh, one of my favorite things to do with one of my to-do lists is cross off something that I have not done. <laughs> that sounds weird at first. Let me back up. If something has existed on iteration after iteration of to-do list and you have never done it, get it off your list. Don't pay attention to it anymore. If it's something like pick up the children, maybe you need to. But if you've got this idea of like, I'm going to start a new blog about this, or I'm going to launch an online course and it's this, or I'm going to write a book and it's this, or I'm going to do a video series, or I'm going to do Instagram stories, or whatever it is and that's still on your list over and over again, and you never get to it, you keep telling yourself that, well, I don't get to it because I'm so busy. You don't get to it because you don't want to do it. If you wanted to do it, you would do it. Now, that's not to say you're not busy, and that's not to say that you're not going to not, that's so many knots, not to say that you're not going to not do something just because you can't, but it's to say that don't allow yourself to be overtaken by something that you're just not going to do. And so when I make these lists, I cross stuff out when I do it, and I cross stuff out when I realize I'm not going to do it. Uh, I had a book I wanted to write last year. I didn't. 
I eventually crossed it out and I was like, yay. If you're a baseball fan, it's kind of like how a walk affects your average. You didn't hit it, but you didn't strike out. You didn't mess up. You're just realizing we're going to go on to something else. We're going to try and get a hit from something else. And you just move forward and go to the next thing. Uh, we are often controlled by these things that sit on our conscious conscience and we don't ever do them. So just cross it off and don't worry about making that list as pretty as it is. It's for you. If for you, the important part is for that list to look beautiful. Do any of you know, uh, Andrea Sang Jackson, she's third story workshop on uh, Instagram. So Andrea is a really great friend of mine. We're backyard neighbors. So our kids just hop the fence and play and stuff like that. Andrea is the most amazing quilter you've ever seen. She just did an incredible product with Megan, a uh, project with Megan Smith, where they made a quilt and also wrote a song about it and did this whole Indiegogo campaign. We have her stuff at home. It's stunning. When, when I go to Andrea's for a meeting or we're meeting at the coffee shop, I look at her thing and it looks like you could sell her to-do lists as art. They're beautiful, but Andrea is someone who is passionate about design and color and beauty. So for her, that's what her lists have to be. My lists are dirt ugly um, because for me, the productivity has nothing to do with that thing. This was a, a real legitimate game changer for me when it came to my productivity. So how many of you handle, say, more than two social media platforms okay how many of you handle more than two social media platforms or more than two brands notifications suck they ruin your whole life uh there is a an explanation of notifications and all these things that basically says that when you get interrupted by anything it takes you about five to 15 minutes, depending on the person, to get back up to speed to where you were at before. So imagine a regular day where you're working and you get a notification of a tweet and you even just glance at it and go, oh, OK, that's cool. And then you go back. Your brain has slowed down for you to get back up to speed takes a long time. And now imagine a day inundated with those things. So I came up with a strategy for this that I could use to beat it. There is rarely something that I need to respond to immediately. It, it is a real rarity. Luckily, the brands that I've worked for don't do anything terrible, generally. And I'm not into crisis management like, like Crystal isn't. If they do something really terrible, I'm like, that's on you. We'll talk later. Um, but generally, I'm there to respond and engage and post things. So what I've done is I've turned off almost every notification for almost every app that's on my phone. I don't get notifications if you like a tweet or you like an Instagram post or a Facebook post does something or whatever. I have set up reminders on my phone to say it's three o'clock. Go check work social. And then I go check work social. And I have another reminder that says it's six o'clock. Check your personal social. And I go in and I check my personal social and then I walk away. I have an email signature that says, I check email at 7 a.m., noon, and 7 p.m. If you send me an email message and it's in between those times, it's going to be a while before I get back to you. I also say, as part of that, if it's an emergency, here's my phone number. You have it. You can message me. 
I was talking to Jennifer this morning about how we had sort of been growing our businesses. And one of the things I said is that when I first started my business, I had these two ideas of how I was going to like conquer this industry. And these were my two genius ideas for how I was going to be the absolute best at this. I was going to charge less than everybody else. And I was going to be available all the time to my clients. And I was really excited about that idea for a little while. And then that idea went way south to where I would have people that would expect me to, I'd be like in the car and they'd be like, well, you have to do this right now. And you're like, I'm not going to. So now with my clients, I'm much more clear about what they can expect from me and when they can expect those things from me. Uh, and that has changed everything. So there are a couple of things that I still have notifications for. I have text messages because my wife, the upholder, occasionally has to send me a list of the things I need to do today. And I have to get that when she sends it. And then I have to go to the grocery store and buy diet cheese and some bread. The other thing that I have turned on is I have direct messages turned on for most of those platforms because when I want to get something from them, it's usually something that's actually important. And I have a my WhatsApp turned on because I have a group chat with a bunch of guys that I play board games with on Thursday night and they always post hilariously funny stuff and I like that. But everything else is turned off. If you send me an email, I do not get notified that you have sent me an email. When I go to check my email, I'll get it. End of story. That has not only saved me a lot of time, but it has also meant that when I am working, I am working. How many of you feel like when you sit down to work, you're entirely focused on what you're doing and you're not distracted at all. It's rummy, right? How do you do that? How do you do that? What is it that you do that changes that? So bouncing around, we're, we're going to talk about this actually. I didn't plant you, but this is fantastic. Uh, because this is the next slide we're going to talk about. You all suck at multitasking. None of you are good at multitasking. You will tell yourself and other people that you are good at multitasking, mostly because you've had to. Mostly because your job or whatever has forced you to. I recorded a podcast with my four-year-old at the time, three-year-old daughter, like in the house to prove a point, which is like, you can't really focus on these things, but this is when I have the time. So I went ahead and did it. And so like half this podcast is me being like, Olive, no, 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 sure. Uh, that was basically this podcast. So I, I would like two people. I need two volunteers. You have to have either a piece of paper or a notebook and a pen. I have two people that will help me out with this. Jennifer, you're going to be one. You can stay at your seat. You don't have to move anywhere. Michelle, you're going to be the other one. So the two of you are going to do something very, very simple. You're going to write the alphabet, and you're going to write the corresponding number underneath each letter of the alphabet. But the two of you have slightly different ways that you're allowed to do this. So Michelle, you're going to write the whole alphabet a to Z, and then underneath it, you're going to write all the corresponding numbers, one to, is it 28? I always get that wrong. I have an English degree. All of the corresponding numbers from 1 to 26 underneath them. Jennifer, you're going to write A, and then you're going to write 1 underneath it. 
and then you're going to write B, and then you're going to write two underneath it. So you're going to alternate between the letters and the numbers. And when I say go, which is not yet, my kids always do that. They're like, when I say go, and they're like, Woof. Um, so when I say go, you're going to get started, and you're going to let me know when you have finished that task. On your mark, get set, go. And I'm going to drink coffee. Thank you. I have a half a cup of lukewarm coffee right now if anyone really, really needs it. Michelle's done. Ah, Michelle beat Jennifer very fast. Rarity that someone will actually be that fast with it. So you're fantastic. So here's the thing. Some people are better at task switching than other people. Task switching is the better way to think about it because you can't do two things at once. You are switching back and forth between the two of them. I used to tell everyone that I was an amazing multitasker. And the reason was I had three hours to work every night. So I just said, I'm great at multitasking and I multitask. And it sucked because the work I was creating was not very good. It took me a long time to do it. And I wasn't very happy doing it. I was giving a variation of this at another conference. And Kayla Short asked me, well, how do you deal with the fact, like, if you're not, if you're not doing all of that, how do you deal with letting down clients? And I was like, you don't. You're not letting down clients when you focus on individual things at a time. You're doing better work for them and you will be faster at doing it. So we need to get away from this idea that we have to do everything all at once. Like my bio and how they talk about this stuff talks about all these different things that I do, but I generally do all of them very separate at very different times. When I hear someone tell me that they're great at multitasking, I basically am like, no, you're very bad at time management. Those are the same thing when we're generally talking about them. And so we have to get away from the idea that you can do good work on these different things all the time. This is about deep work. When you are multitasking, you are doing shallow work. You are doing surface work. You are not doing your best work when you are multitasking. There are slight variations on this. I do good work when I am listening to music. Some people will tell you that's not possible. When I am listening to music and I am writing or I'm working on a website or things like that, I do exceptionally good work. I'm very fast. I'm very accurate. I can do those things. If I'm watching TV and writing a blog post, this is my favorite thing to do. I suck at that uh, because I'm like in the middle of the blog post. I'm like, and then, you know, the important thing about vertical farming is that Olivia Pope is now command of B16. And so it, you end up running these very things. Spoiler alert, by the way. Um, but I, I want you to get away from thinking that you need to do all these things all at once or that you can do all these things all at once and start getting more into the thinking of what if I did one thing exceptionally well right now? And you will get better at knocking all those things off your to-do list if you do it that way. Um, this is another book that I got this year on a whim. I, I'm a real sucker for good marketing. Like a good book cover will really convince me. Like the cover for Deep Work is the same yellow that Brittany was wearing yesterday. Like the jacket is that. And it immediately, I was like, Ooh, that is. And this book, I sort of saw this and I was like, two awesome hours. That sounds really good. 
Two Awesome Hours is another book that has um, that has really changed the way I think about especially multitasking and task switching. Who here thinks that they're really terrible at multitasking? All right. In the back beside Susie, I don't know your name. That's you. Uh, I'm going to give you this book. Uh, you can have it. It's got things that I wrote in it. I'll explain why in a second. But it's a good book, and I wanted to give it to someone to make good use. Here's the reason I really wanted to give it. My wife has this weird thing where she actually won't read anything that I recommend in her whole life. Uh, so I have all these books that I love that, like, they're wasted in my house. Um, the, I will briefly say that the reason I write in books is when I was doing my education degree, we talked about this concept that books are a conversation between you and the author, but they're always a one-way conversation. And that if we start engaging with the author, even in a way that they can't necessarily feel back, we end up having this sort of better relationship with the book. So with most books, I will underline things. I will put things in quotes. I will write questions about books, and I've actually lent those books to friends who've commented on those things or other things and sent them back. And it's a really fun experience when you're when you're reading a book. So I hope that none of my underlining or circling bothers you as part of the reading. Here's what Two Awesome Hours is about. When I pick up my phone and I hit the unlock button, my thumb automatically goes to the same places it has always gone every time I unlock my phone. It, it, it just automatically does it. It's muscle memory. It, it's just the way that cognition works is once we've trained ourselves, this is why athletes are so good at these things. It's why when you look at a basketball player, they dribble like twice. They do a certain spin. Like every basketball player has their own way that they shoot free throws. Good free throw shooters always have the exact same process um, because you're always just getting yourself in the exact same position that you've learned how to do. Shaquille O'Neal did not have a routine. So two awesome hours basically says we need to get out of that concept and start making more choices in between activities. Because if you're upset that you always write a blog post, do some social media, check your email, go on Netflix, and you never get to that sixth thing down the line, you have to change somewhere in that process what you're doing. So the real important thing about two awesome hours, and this actually speaks to what Remy was talking about as well, there's two things. Number one, make more actual choices about what you are going to do next. Be purposeful when you decide that you're going to do something. The second part of it is realize whether or not you have the energy and the motivation to do that thing right now. I will often walk away from something if I realize I'm not in the headspace to write that right now, even if it's something that I really wanted to write because I don't have the energy. And so it makes more sense to use that energy on something I can use it on. Two Awesome Hours is a book that I read very quickly because it just made sense to me. It immediately, I was like, right, I keep, and it, it's crazy when you look at your phone and you unlock your phone and you realize how likely you are to go to the exact same places. If sometimes when someone asks me to do something in particular on my phone, I will open my phone and do the same thing I always do on my phone. Like if someone's like, can you look up this on Google? I'm like, sure. Instagram, Twitter, email. I just go all the way through that. 
And so if you don't change that sort of the way that synapse works its way through, you will continue to just have the same things at the end of your list that you're not doing. We're going to have a little break in a second right after we talk about this. One of the things that I found was how do I decide how long I'm going to take to work on something? How do I decide when I need to take a break, etc.? And then I got this app called Blinkist. Have any of you had or used or heard of Blinkist? Chris does. I'm not surprised. You do as well. Remy does. So what Blinkist does is it says, all right, we took this book, we read it, we broke it into like eight to ten points, and then we delivered those points. It's basically super condensed books. But I've had other services like that that have sucked because they've really lost a lot of the momentum and feel of it. And I find with Blinkist, they generally end up delivering to me what that book was really about. And sometimes I go ahead and decide to read that book. And sometimes I go, okay, no, I'm good. I've got it. They also do it in both written and audiobook format. So for example, one day in two hours, I listen to a playlist called Time Management and Productivity. And in two hours, I listen to 10 books about time management and productivity. And I got a lot out of it. Um, and one of these books was about the Pomodoro Method. So a lot of people know the Pomodoro Method. And don't worry if you don't. I'll explain what it is in a second. I have a slight variation on the Pomodoro Method that I use. So the Pomodoro Method is named for a really, really ridiculous reason. Does anyone know the reason why it's actually named the Pomodoro Method? Yeah. When the guy who did it actually decided to do it, the only timer he had was one of those little, like, bacon clocks, but the one shaped like a tomato, for 25 minutes. And so he set it for 25 minutes did what he did, and then called it the Pomodoro method because there was a tomato timer that he used, which has always struck me as like a really weird way to name something using like the tool. It's like calling a to-do list. You're like, you know, the pencil method. And you're like, I mean, I guess, but like, I don't, you don't have to use a Pomodoro tomato. So the way this method works is it says you should do 25 minutes of work and then you should take a five minute break. Um, there are people who think that they can work longer, and some of those people are absolutely right. Uh, there are people who have trouble focusing for 25 minutes, and those people are probably absolutely right. Uh, but the sweet spot from this and some other research that they've done afterwards is that after about 25 minutes, you're out there. Um, Aaron Trafford at Social Media Day, we were talking about podcasting, and she was saying, like, the average attention span of a human, if you're listening to something, is about 16 minutes. And after that, you, you need to switch to something else or something exciting has to happen to keep you interested in it. So we don't have a long attention span. You can't sit and do four hours of work. Sometimes you can. You get in the zone, and that's great. But generally, you can't. And so the Pomodoro Method says you have 25 minutes, then you have a five-minute break. So the first time I tried to do the Pomodoro Method, I set a timer for 25 minutes, and then I spent 25 minutes checking the timer to see how much more time I had in that 25 minutes, because that's what we do. It's sort of like, how much more time do I have? Oh, I've only got 18 minutes, or I've got 23 minutes. Who cares? This is great. Uh, and I was like, I have to figure out a better way to do this, because a timer is not working for me. It's making me key into it. So what I did instead is I built a series of what I called Pomodoro Playlists. So I built a series of different styles of playlists that are all about 25 minutes in length. So, for example, I have one called PodCamp Pomodoro. PodCamp Pomodoro has a whole bunch of super mellow, super relaxing, like mostly instrumental stuff that was designed to 
let me work on PodCamp, the conference it organized, without having a stroke or heart attack. And it was all designed to kind of keep me nice and mellow. Uh, the, <laughs> the playlist that I currently listen to is called Filthy Pomodoro. And it is like the most aggressive rap and hip hop I listen to. And it is designed for me to be like, you need to get your ass in here. And this is what's going to do it. I have a Pearl Jam Pomodoro list, which is kind of in the middle. I have a Macklemore Pomodoro. Uh, I have a whole bunch of different ones. They're about 25 minutes in length. And it's kind of like musical chairs. When the music stops, we're done. I always, always put them on shuffle. Because my mind is smart enough to, just like I check that timer all the time, be like, we're on song three. That means it's been nine minutes and 34 seconds. That means I have 16 minutes. So what I realized was I can't really know how long it is. I really have to put them on shuffle. And then when I get so used to a mix that I'm thinking, oh, yeah, that song hasn't played yet and that song hasn't played yet, then I edit that playlist or I add a new playlist or I switch it up to something else. But And then I take a five-minute break. At the coffee shop, that's usually when I either stretch, use the washroom, uh, go get a new coffee 75 times a day, uh, just chat. There's a lot of other people who work in the same coffee shop that I work at. So that's when I sort of interrupt them. Um, one of the people, do any of you know Sarah Soller? She's a, a writer in Halifax. Uh, she's a good friend of mine, and we work out of the same coffee shop. And one of the things, this is going to speak to something in a second, but one of the things we decided one day was, okay, well, let's do this Pomodoro method, and then let's talk in between and record that conversation and turn it into a podcast. Um, we've only recorded one episode so far, uh, but we're going to be doing more as we go on. But the idea was like, all right, well, we're going to have these conversations in between anyways about a whole bunch of topics. Let's just record them and turn them into some piece of content. And that's the next slide. I'm really proud of myself that some of these go in the order that my mind also goes. Sometimes that doesn't happen. One of the only things that I will really say I still take from Gary Vaynerchuk. Uh, how many of you know who Gary Vaynerchuk is? Okay, cool. I'll go into a small amount of detail for the rest of you. Gary Vaynerchuk is a guy who a long time ago figured out how to use YouTube to sell wine and then became super famous as an internet guy. And now does a bunch of internet stuff and tells people how they're not working hard enough and they need to work harder. You're all caught up. Um, Gary says and does a lot of things that really drive me crazy because they all come from a huge place of privilege to be able to say, you know what you should do? He's like, you know what I do is, you know, my place that we have in the Hamptons now, when we're on vacation this summer, I get to hang out with all these CEOs and that's where I do all my networking. Why don't you just do that? And you're like... I can't. Um, so there's a bunch of stuff that Gary Vee says that I kind of take with a grain of salt. He also is a huge proponent of like, if you haven't quit your job and you're not working on your other thing full time, you're a lazy human and you're a failure and you're never going to succeed. And that worked for him because he did really, really smart, really, really good things at a very specific time. Uh, and I would encourage you to read his books and listen to his podcast. He's got some really great information. This is the only thing that I still take away from him, which is document versus create. When you're looking at content creation, you're basically saying, like, I need to create a piece of content that reflects the life I'm living so that I can then share that on social media or share that whatever, wherever, so that people can see what I'm doing. 
And for most of us, that becomes this big process. One of the things I loved about Ruth Ann talking about your live videos is the fact that you're like, yeah, there's a cat. What do you want me to do? Like, it's right there. I don't care. That is an example of what Gary would discuss as documenting versus creating. Because instead of going, I have to arrange my whole life around making this thing, instead, I'm just going to document what I would probably be doing. Um, some of you may or may not know, so I write for Yummy Mummy Club, which in non-blogging parenting circles, you have to explain in great detail. Because as a guy, if you say, I write for a blog called Yummy Mummy Club, you have a lot of questions on the playground from people who wonder what kind of content you produce. It's not my kind of content. It's some people's kind of content. It's not my kind of content. Uh, so I... I write for Yummy Mummy Club. The thing I love about writing for Yummy Mummy Club is I have a six-year-old and a four-year-old who do ridiculous things. And then I message Jenny and go, my son tried to smuggle a fidget spinner to school in his butt. Do you want me to write a story about that? And she goes, yeah. or I say, uh, or I say, uh, these are the ridiculous things my children do when I'm expecting them to go to sleep, which I still am reading your stuff about the sleep article. That was you, right? Helen? Is it? No, not Helen. Heather, you wrote the piece of the Herald about the two kids. Yeah. When I, like my family brought that to me and was like, Heather wrote this thing about our family. Uh, she put on the Chronicle Herald because it was very much in key. But the, the cool thing about what I do for Yummy Mummy Club is I don't have to make up anything. I super glued my daughter's eyes shut. I super glued her eyes shut. I used, I used, I used super glue to glue her upper eyelash to her bottom eyelash. I couldn't have done it on purpose. I don't have the manual dexterity. Instead, I was trying to fix a toy. The kids were behind me. This container of super glue broke. My son went, I got some on my shirt. And my daughter, and I went, that's okay. We'll wash it off. And my daughter went like this. And super glued her eye closed. So I took her to the bathroom. And I actually feel pretty proud about what I did. My first thought was, I need to rinse this out. I need to get water out of this so that none of the chemicals damage her eye. So I started putting water on it, and I couldn't quite get her eyelid apart. So then I went, well, this is going to be interesting. And I went like this, and I put one finger on her upper lid and one below and went, bang! And she went, and I was like, are you okay? And she's like, uh-huh. And then my next thought was, I have to figure out if she can still see, figure out if there's any damage. So I started asking questions. So I started asking questions like, what color is this towel? And my son was like, this is a great game. I'm going to dominate. That towel's red. And I was like, we're trying to see if I killed her eyes. Could you just stop for a minute? And I was like, how many fingers am I holding up? And Jack would be like, two. I'm like, this is not. So then my son decided to help, which is lovely. So he started asking her questions that had no relation to vision. <laughs> Things like, what's your favorite color? And she was like, purple. And he was like, she's fine. 